Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Palate Exposure, featuring Alona Thompson, a podcast for those seeking the ultimate in wine, food, and travel. Each week, she interviews winemakers, chefs, celebrities, and a variety of guests that shape the way we enjoy life. The word I'm looking for you to spit out is structure. Structure. By which I mean the interaction, the lattice, the way the carbons are put together. So for example, in graphite, graphite is a sheet of of, uh, hexagonal carbons. Coal is just kind of randomized, and and diamonds have a very, very different structure. Three-dimensional crystalline structure is very, very different from graphite. You mean the way that they bind, right? To each other. Yeah, okay. Right. So that's the way wine is. And, And a lot of what the book is about is how to make a refined structure that will have stability, uh, something called aromatic integration. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is when you make Bernays sauce, you're going to put in, if you got butter and eggs, and you're going to try to make these little tiny beads. Uh, emulsifying. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, emulsification, and the, and the, and the finer they are. Mm-hmm you will be able to smell all the other stuff you put in there, the tarragon and the vinegar and, and, the, and the onion and the mint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're just going to get this one aroma that's just kind of Bernese. Okay? That's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do with my wines. Very interesting. I, wow. I, I, I don't want you to go, this wine is really complex. I want you to go that this wine is mysteriously soulful and profound. Wow. Not, not that it not has a, a bunch of confusing that. pieces, but, but that working together, sort of like the hundred instruments in, in an orchestra that a master conductor can m- meld into a single voice. And the minute yeah. it happens, it hits you right here and you go, guess 200 bucks wasn't so much to spend for that <laughs> oh that's that's great visual yet again and definitely a lot to process of very interesting um and we've come a, come full circle in in a sense because we started with natural quote-unquote wine that has become probably a marketing term um along with everything else all the other discussions but in order to achieve this extraordinary harmony and integration you do stuff to your wines that oh, I do stuff. consider I do unnatural stuff. yeah 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 um so 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 then you have these 11 chapters that get into uses of oak uses of enological oxygen the actual reactions that happen that make that uh bringing oxygen to a wine is homeopathic if you do it just right, and you challenge the wine with oxygen, it becomes more reductive. It becomes- That's the microox you're describing, right? The microox, yeah. And so that's a little bit like the wire whisk 
in a souffle where you try to make a rich light structure that's integrative and uh and 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 it actually increases the wine's lifetime i think somebody famous like michelle roland is not a fan of that is that true yes he is he is really? no he's 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 on board great he's my main man and john nosseter did that piece of shit film with all the farting dogs in it and yeah i remember him saying he didn't something. have he tried to throw dirt at michelle just yeah. he laughs too much yeah Gee, I'm sorry. And Mike, you know, Michelle was on the phone going, oh, Mike Rocks, Mike Rocks. You know? yeah. I do that too. Uh, I think if you don't know how to use oxygen, you don't know anything about what wine is or how to make it. Mm -hmm. uh, so anyway, uh, there are these 11 chapters. They have vineyard enology uh, uh, and then minerality and some stuff about biodynamics. And, and they're hard. They're challenging chapters. If you're a winemaker, you'll be fine. If you're not, if you're just like a, you just like to read Malcolm Gladwell in the New Yorker and you love wine, that you'll be okay. But my advice is don't obsess about getting every single point the first time. Mm -hmm. Get through those 11 chapters and take what you get. And then it gets easy. Because then we start talking about how science really works. And I have the chapter 12, it's called Wine's Lunatic Heroes. <laughs> I love that. You know, the scientific method is not about discovery. It's a clerical process of looking at, you have a hypothesis and then you're gonna test it. Well, where's the hypothesis come from? It comes from crazy people. Uh, you know, Randall Graham and, and uh, just, if anybody that's willing to try something new and it used to be back in, we talked about how we didn't know anything about making still wines and unfortified wines until about 1970 so uc davis did a fantastic job teaching us the basics of how to keep wine from just being horrible but by 1980 they had kind of made themselves obsolete don't know how to approach this thing about how to make great wine. They know how to keep the wine from having defects, but you would have a hard time finding a wine anywhere in the world right now that has serious defects. Yes, wine, we're drinking better than ever, that's for sure. We really are. And they're kind of boring, most of them. You mean like homogeneity? I mean, that's a big topic of conversation in the media, the sameness. It's because of it's, that's what's in the stores and these media people won't get out into the world and find interesting wines that aren't in stores. But that's, that's the disruptive thinking. That's the chicken and the egg. I mean, yeah. Well, you remember we talked about the diversity paradox. Yeah. That's what we're suffering from. And they're right. That if they're just going to buy all their wine at Dina and DeLuca, it's going to be boring. Yeah. But that's not their job. If they're journalists, they're supposed to go out and discover the small guys that are doing interesting work. Oh, I think our profession- And, and in America, <laughs> of all places. <laughs> it's been eroded a bit, and infiltration of influences is not helping because it's very surface-like approach, and it's very self-serving approach. So I, I'm the first one to admit that our profession has not stepped up and helped you guys near enough. 
What an opportunity. Agreed. That's why we're talking. See, I'm trying to do Yeah, I know. I know. I know. You're doing it. You're really doing it. And, and man, I mean, it, it's such untapped richness. Uh, and, you know, I, I really want all your readers to just run right out and watch Wine Diamonds. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll feed you stuff. I'll tell you where, where the gold is. The best of the best of the best of the small wineries. You know, I would point to Galen Glen in Lehigh, Pennsylvania. Sarah Troxel was just rocking it with Bruner Veltlinger and Zweigelt. And, and then uh, William Chris down in, in high Texas, Texas yeah. making, making God's own uh, Blanc de Bois, Surly. Uh, and That's fun. I visited William Chris, yeah. Yeah, no, I do you. Yeah, good for you. Great, ah, great. No, I love it. You're out there. All right, and and there's, I mean, there's just a lot of them. And uh, no, and we we're gonna ask for a list. I could you not? I mean, we'll put a little okay. list. Um, I would love to do that. Yeah. Of your do you know about Do you know about Vox Vineyards? No. Oh, this is Jerry Eisterhold. He's in Kansas City. Mm -hmm. He's a very well known museum architect. Interesting. It's a thriving business. Mm -hmm. And he's out on a farm uh, on, on, uh, in a place called Little Dixie, which is full of 600 feet of, of loafs, which is glacial tilth. Hmm. And uh, which means it's warm. The soil is very warm. And lots of, you know, uh, water penetration. So uh, he's got, he decided just for the hell of it about over 20 years ago to plant these heirloom varieties from, from uh, TV Munson. You know who TV Munson was? Mm, not exactly. Well, I'm going to tell you, TV Munson is the most important viticulturist in world history. Oops, I probably there should are, <laughs> There are statues to him all over France because he saved the vineyard of Europe with cuttings so that they could graft against phylloxera. Of course, I, that's where, that's the context that I heard his name from. I heard the name. Yeah, but in his spare time, he yeah. collected and bred 300 grape varieties that nobody's ever heard of. Well, probably the, explore. the but these are heirloom varieties, just like heirloom tomatoes, you know. Uh, uh, and and Jerry's got well, he started with a sixty-seven of them, and we pared it down to about twenty-five or thirty. Munch, Cloeta, Lenoir, which is also called Black Spanish, Lamanto, uh, Albania. Hidalgo, Wetumpka. These are really good wines, and they've been lost to history since 1905. That's so fascinating. I mean, and he also makes some rockin' good Norton. Uh, so I'm, anyway, that's just one example of somebody that's completely insane that's a lunatic hero. And... Uh, and of course, Robert Mondavi was a lunatic hero because nobody thought you could grow Cabernet in the frozen tundra of Oakville. 
That's right. And William Phelps, wasn't it the first one that made Emeritage? And people said, what are you doing blending? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, uh, Richard Sonner up in Oregon. Everybody thought he was crazy. Constantine Frank up in oh, you know, yeah. Finger Lakes. You know, these were our lunatic heroes. So that's chapter 12. And then I have some case studies of people that I've worked with that are very good friends that have played around with my stuff and then evolved into their own way of working, Randall Graham. Uh, that's called California Dreamer in Search of the Miraculous. The Great Disruptor, yeah. And, yeah, I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you the one thing. I asked him, uh, Randall, are you a, a, a visionary or a charlatan? Probably and both. He, and he said, well, in a quantum world, you can be <laughs> And uh, what he meant was, uh, you, you, you go to a restaurant and the, and, you, and the waiter says, well, you know, I'm not really a waiter, I'm, I'm really an actor. And you uh, go, yeah, all right, you know. And then 20 years later, you realize that that was Sean Penn before he was Sean Penn. So he was kind of both. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And then Gideon Beinstock uh, up, in, uh, up in North Yuba, very highly respected organic, uh, you know, the natural wine movement loves Gideon and so do I. Mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a mensch. He's, you know, he's, he's not faking it. So anyway, we have that kind of stuff. And then I start getting into four chapters about new technologies like flash detente and talking about how electricity ruined the wine industry for a hundred years and uh, and then the new filtrations, ultrafiltration and RO and all that stuff. And then I take on pretty much everybody. I, 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 I criticize the, the critique, the, the the people who criticize biodynamics. I think biodynamics is a really interesting challenge to the scientific method. Uh, I definitely take on the natural wine people and I take on judging. And then we end it all with this, this uh, wine is liquid music way of looking at things. So then there's a, there's a, Appendix two is a postmodern dictionary, and you shouldn't read it in the book. You should go online, and there's an interactive. A is for anthocyanin, and anthocyanin is a phenolic. What the hell is a phenolic? You click on. So there's a there's some terminology, some beautiful, as they say in reality TV, expensive words that we all need. To <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and, 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 and once in a while, you drop into an expensive word like vine vineyardinology. What does that mean? It's not viticulture. It's going into the vineyard as a winemaker, trying to get, you know, concentrating on the purple stuff instead of the green stuff. All right, so then vineyardinology has a link. It's like, you know, click on more. It takes you over to the postmodern winemaking site which has a theory tab that, that explores all this stuff. So you go into vineyard enology 
and there's a lot of chatter there, but also we're not, we can't put PDFs and articles and stuff there. So there's a Dropbox link and you go in there and there will be 50 articles on different aspects of, uh, you know, deficit irrigation or whatever you want. And so there, there is a big section on smoke taint there with, with, dozens and dozens of articles and uh, papers and, and, and stuff. And, uh, and so we add to that. So this is a living, the book is a living thing. Yeah, evolving. So you, you're updating it periodically online is kind of what you're Well, saying. every year we have a postmodern winemaking symposium and sometimes we have three or four in different locations and people will bring articles and, and PowerPoint presentations to specific you know, parts of it. Now, the, the, the thing about, about postmodern winemaking is that there's no recipes. And in fact, if we were all making wine the same way, we'd be in the dairy business. <laughs> It'd just be about distribution. Yeah. But it's not, it's about stories. And so if you and I are making wine, I want to hear your story but I don't want to do what you do. I, I, want, I want to take whatever input I can from you. So there's a thing in there called the soccer ball speech. And I did this for a postmodern symposium in Lisbon. And I had a soccer ball because it just happened that the US and, and, and Portugal were competing in the World Cup. And I said, okay, here's a soccer ball. And let's say this represents all of the everything there is to be known about enology and we each have our own spot on the soccer ball where where the way we see things now no matter how tall i get i can only see half of the soccer ball and you might be over on the other side i don't want to bring you over to my side i just want to hear how it looks from the other side like the dark side of the moon to me very cool so let's communicate. And the way we do that is by, by insisting on disagreeing about everything. Wouldn't that be a great metaphor for discourse in general, not just in wine? Yeah, um, it's, it's not only, it's, it's not only, I'm not trying to be nice. I'm just saying it's vital. No, it is, it, it vital is. To have 10,000 wineries in the US and you know hundreds of thousands of wineries all over the world that are tiny and each having their own little song to sing. Just like all the, who knows, there must be a million garage bands and barbershop quartets and church choirs, none of whom will ever get it on the AM dial, but they all have to have their own little song to sing. You have a voice and an important one. And I know that I have my work cut out for me and I don't consider it work. It's really a very pleasurable and fulfilling exercise to talk to people that put their heart and soul in this, like you, um, and that you know are communicating in so many beautiful languages. The language of wine, you know, the language of life. Um, it just it it's a great thing to be a part of. And you guys that are listening have your homework as well. Um, you know where to go, Winesmith right and we'll have a list of um winemakers and wineries that you've um spoke of just 
you know, even for myself, I'm utterly fascinated. I tend to be California centric at times and I really do need a kick in the behind. Um, well, you watch, you watch Wine Diamonds and I will send you a list of like the 20 most interesting wineries I know of. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, probably the way to go, the easiest way to find my stuff is to go to whoisclarksmith.com and click on the shop. Love it. You'll see drop down menus there for forgeries and oddities. <laughs> The forgeries are all the Eurocentric wines I make, uh, you know, Austrian wines and and Jurançon and and and, and Poyac and uh, all the knockoffs, Fauchebris. Uh and then the oddities will be the Nortons and you know other crackpot wines I make. Then we have a we have you know drop downs for all the reds. And, and this will include like every Cabernet Franc I've ever made. So there'll be two or three that are available and in 20 or 30 where you, if you have a bottle, you can go in and see what's going on. Most of them have videos and all that. And uh, in the, I think it's right on the shop page, there's a place you can click to get the postmodern sampler that is the six wines that you reviewed. Uh, and, uh, so we've got a special on that. And uh, it's, we're, we're, we're knocking off 36% off of those six wines. What do we got? There's a, the Sparkling Grenache, the Saint Laurent, the Norton, the Cab Franc, the, uh, we have a sulfite-free, all-organic uh, uh, meritage from Humboldt County. Yes. I think that's, you know, if you just, if you just one time in your life want to have a wine that is really profound, and we'll show you some, some places in your soul that you didn't know you have, that's the one to get. Wow. For 60 bucks, and I'll put that against any Napa Cabernet under $300. That's quite the description. No, that's, yeah. um, your wines do have those profound qualities uh, that you spoke of. Again, so much personality, so much longevity. I'm still reeling from the fact that your wines can be open for a week. Um, well, the, the, the Humboldt Meritage is much better after a week. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. So if you are instant gratification person, like I tend to be sometimes, mm -hmm. or if you want to, if your patience rewarded, you cover both ends of the spectrum. I, I drank that bottle of sparkling way too quickly and now I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then finally we have the Petit Monsang. Yeah. Uh, what was your impression of that? You know, I, I consume relatively small amount of dessert style wines because I often find them flowingly sweet and unpleasant and kind of overwhelming the senses. Yours was so elegant and balanced. Um, I really did like it. it. To tell the truth, and I'm not just saying this, one of my favorite dessert wines that I've had from the New World. And we do put it in a 375 because we've yeah. the dessert wines that way. And we only have a tiny little bit. Yeah. Spread it around. And, you know, Beautiful aromatics, like sexiest nose ever. Just saying. Yeah. There's a little bit of acacia wood in that. 
for me. That's where the honeysuckle comes from. Right? Yeah, oh, the florals. The kind of thing you want yeah. with a, you know, something light, like an eclair or a cannoli or a Napoleon. I had some melon in the fridge, actually, and I just had that. Oh, that would work great. Yeah, so that was so nice. Yeah, um, Not yeah it kind of, I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel long, longingly re yeah. recalling um, yeah, that well, wonderful you know, moment. The first, the first one's free. <laughs> no, it's honestly, when you're kind of having a little party and on your tongue and you're envying yourself a little bit, that's what it's all about. <laughs> Um, Clark, it's amazing to talk to you, and um, I would love to do it again. I think this is one of many conversations, hopefully, that we'll get to have and have you guys listen in and be that fly on the wall. This well, is of course, we have some, some new releases that haven't come out yet. Mm -hmm. We have several vintages of, of Grenache and Tanat and Tempranillo and uh, Dry Creek Zinfandel. That's right. We haven't released yet. Well, as soon as you do, we're going to need to talk about it. Okay. So this is to be continued. Thanks again for tuning in to the official podcast of Palette Exposure featuring Alona Thompson. We'll see you again next week.